Hey, Matthew, could you put that last slide back up there for a moment? When we just sang. I think we need to stare at that for a few more minutes. Look at what the Lord has done for us. Look at who he is. Our living redeemer. His love has healed us. We're forever forgiven and set free. Let's let that sink in. Think about that. Our Father, it is truly an amazing thing what you have done for us through Christ Jesus, your Son, how you would love us this much to give us and to give us and to give us of yourself. Father, fill our hearts with a new awareness of all that we have been given in you that we might be impacted by your word, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about the biggest issue facing the church today and facing individual Christians, facing the cause of Christ and advancing the cause of Christ, the mission of kingdom advance. It's not a new problem. Not a new issue. It's as old as the record of God's dealing with his people. In fact, the Apostle Paul particularly singled it out as a sign of the terrible times of the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, he used this phrase to describe the people of God having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Holding to Christian principles, but not experiencing the power of God in our lives. In the lives of us individually, in the lives of us as a church community. To outsiders, our life denies that our faith has punched to it. And to those inside, deep down inside, many of us have lost confidence long ago that what we believe has any real power. Because we don't see change. There's an epidemic of powerless churches and disappointed and defeated Christians. That sets up a situation whereby lost people are not the least bit interested in what we have to offer. And saved people are being stolen away by sin in the most horrible of ways. This past week, we lost our keynote speaker for our global ministries conference to a moral failure. People further distracted by stuff, swamped by defeat. And the symptoms of all of this range from chronic anxiety to devilish rage to unbridled immorality and blatant idolatry. 
all within the people who are called Christian. I want you to note that it's not first a power problem. It's a relationship problem. Some of you may have taken the time to turn to 2 Timothy 3. If you had, you would notice that the phrase right before explaining this form of godliness that denies the power of God is as a result in verse 4 of being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I want to further narrow down the cause. The Apostle Paul, at great personal cost, I might add, offered his diagnosis or assessment regarding the Corinthian church, the power problem within the Corinthian church. And he said this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You're saying, flesh that out. What's that really mean? It's a loyalty issue. Very simply, the power problems within the church are a relationship issue that is centered on a loyalty problem to God. Um, the decision to have an affair with sin or stuff. That's what we're talking about. To take on another lover. The pleasure of sin or the pleasure of stuff. And I, I just want to share with you that before any great thing can happen in your life, or the life of our community as a church. Fickleness toward God has to give way to loyal faithfulness to God. There is no other way. There is no other formula. It's, it's that simple but that profound and that serious. Before any great thing can happen, and it just seemed to me that as, as we come upon a, a new season, the fall is is coming upon us that I thought it would be important for us to the next couple of weeks using Sunday night and Sunday mornings to take a look at the life of Gideon an expose on the issues of fickleness toward God and God's resulting judgment and uh, the turnaround to faithfulness you see if God is displaced in our lives and there's an age-old record of that taking place in the history of God's people. If God is displaced from first place, from the all in all in our lives, if he's displaced from that, he withdraws his power from our lives. That's how it works. That's what happens. The word of God says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Draw away from me, I withdraw my power from you. And the enemy gets the best of us when that happens. Sin will get the best of you. You'll feel a life of defeat rather than a life of victory. Uh, rather than abundant life, it'll be defeated life. And you'll feel that. That's the way it will happen in your life. And so I really want to talk about a loyalty gut check. And it seemed to me really appropriate as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, 
which is really a symbol of a renewal of our vows. Jesus Christ has given himself totally for us. And when we gather at the table of the Lord, it's a renewal of our vows to give ourselves back all over again to the Lord. This is a loyalty gut check morning. Would you turn with me to Judges chapter 6? I want you to know that that the fall from spiritual abundance to spiritual and emotional poverty is usually gradual. You're turning to six, but I'm going to just give a couple of comments on the early parts of the book of Judges. It starts subtly. The very beginning in the first chapter, uh, the people of God inquired of the Lord... Who will be first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered. He gave, he, he gave an answer to their, their, their question. Judah. Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. So naturally what we think should happen in the next verse is, So Judah went and conquered what God told them they could conquer. That's what we want to read. But that's not what we're reading. Here's what we're going to read, and you're going to think, well, it's not so bad. Well, look at Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. They asked the Lord who should go, what tribe should go. He says Judah. He didn't say Judah and Simeon. He said Judah. You go and take care of it yourself. But rather than take the Lord at his word, they decided, like women who go to the washroom with a friend. I've never understood that, but that's the, that's the please, are you going to the washroom? Yeah, yes, okay, then I'll go too. I, I, I never understood that. It's, it's like, could you please come with us too? And watch our purse while we're away, by the way. It's like, what's with that? It's like God wasn't enough for them. So they go. And they attack. And they attack a king by the name of Adonai Bezak. And they cut off his thumbs and big toes. The first evidence of subtle shift in your spiritual vitality is this idea that God just really isn't enough and you start to accumulate other things that start to displace him and then you do things like cut off thumbs and big toes well not really I don't think anybody in here has ever done that you adopt the lifestyle of the ways of the faithless and godless around you. That was a pagan way of attacking people. It wasn't what God's people were told to do. And and then as we read on further, uh, God had told them uh, when they were to take the promised land that they were to drive all the people of the land, all the godless people of the land, out of the land. But in verse 27, it says, Manasseh, Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan, nor Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun, nor did Asher, neither did Nephtali. The Amorites were determined to also hold out in, in Mount Heres. 
tribe after tribe leaves sinful stuff hanging around their lives. Just minor pragmatics here. A little compromise there. An easy solution over a commitment to biblical instruction there. And pretty soon, there's no power in your life, and you're way far from God, and sin is beating you up. By the time we get over to Gideon, we find out that for seven years, verse 1, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. That phrase itself caused me to spend a lot of time in pause. The description over God's people was the power of Midian. Does that bother you? Wouldn't it bother you if people de described Calvary Baptist Church as the power of Oshawa was on them? The power of lost people was oppressing them. Shouldn't it be the moniker over God's people and the power of God was upon them? I want to share with you this morning that there are four drastic changes that you have to make in your life that have to take place if you are going to make sure that you are loyal, fully loyal to God. And we're going to dig it out of chapter 6 here, a little bit of chapter 6. And we're going to go really quickly. Chapter 6, Judges 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Or literally, Midian made them so small. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave, them, gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. 
uh, am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together, or as one man. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace, or El Shalom. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on, on top of this, on this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon's son of Joash did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day, they called Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. This is the word of God. Now, I want to, uh, as I said, give you four drastic changes that have to take place. And the first one is this. You have to face the fact in your life that defeat is an undesirable way to live. You have to come to that place in your life where the, place that, that pow the power of Midian is so oppressive and you are so sick of it and find it so disgraceful that, that you want it out of your life. Now, for seven years... In verse 2, it tells us that they had been accommodating the situation. They'd been hiding in caves and crevices of their own making while the enemy was getting the best of them. Instead of confronting their sinfulness, instead of getting to the place where they were fed up with defeat and the power of Midian, they were making concessions. They're compensating for their compromising. Huddling in caves and crevices. God's people, imagine it. God's people, the, 
the people who are supposedly to have the power of God resting on them are huddling in caves and crevices and hiding, making allowances for their sinfulness and disloyalty toward God. Now we do this. Allow ourselves to be defeated over and over and over again. We abandon the power of God in favor of easier solutions. What we eventually do is lower our life expectations spiritually. We start to say to people, that's just the way I am. And we hide in our caves and we huddle in the crevices, never enjoying the impact of the power of God in our lives. We become hostages to the power of Midian. And we expect other people around us to make allowances for our sinfulness as well. We expect them to uh, learn to avoid the trigger points in our lives. We turn people into enablers just to keep peace. Instead of confronting our sinfulness and the oppressive power that is in our lives of the enemy. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but the Midianites swooped in right at harvest time. They'd always come in after the Israelites had done all of the hard work of expressing their giftedness, of pouring in their resources, of of building it just to the point where they were going to enjoy the harvest. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the eastern people that said would swoop in and, and take all the spoils. All of the hard work that you put in, all of the the work of serving the Lord or attempting to serve the Lord and and offering Him your resources and and putting your giftedness on the line and all of that, but in the meantime, being oppressed under the power of Midian, uh, conceding to your sinfulness, you can expect that just when it's time for you to enjoy the harvest of blessings and spiritual blessings, it's going to be taken away. Now, the Midianites... It says, made them feel small. Sin does that to us. It makes you feel small. You want to hide from people who are experiencing the power of God because they make you feel even smaller. The presence of the power of God. You've been trying to battle your sinfulness with your own flesh, your own strength. You've been trying to withstand its, its attacks in your life by using your own strength. And that's what they were doing. They were trying in every possible way to build their lives around them on the basis of their own strength, but they couldn't. They couldn't withstand the attack of Midian. You know why? Because the Midianites were the first people to have cruise missiles. With carrying capacity, by the way, and they were called camels. Camels could cover 500 kilometers in three days. In in ancient times, you see, they they used to count on the fact that they could see their enemy coming. They could see them gathering and coming for days and days and days. They'd they'd hear word for for weeks that that, that the enemy was was approaching. And so they'd, they'd gather up their fortresses and they'd be ready for the attack. But the Midianites could show up 500 kilometers away. They'd be there in three days. Their flesh was inadequate to withstand the power of Midian. They needed the power of God. 
You can't always see the attack of sin. It lurks. It lays in wait. It hides on you. Just waiting for that moment where somebody tips you off or something happens and then it leaps. And you thought you could battle it with the flesh, but you didn't see it coming. It got you too quickly. And you defeat it again. You climb back into your cave. And you hide. Midian power requires divine power to counterattack. It's time for God talk. Enough of the defeat talk. You notice how God addresses Gideon? Verse 12. He appears to him and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior! It's kind of ironic. Because the mighty warrior is threshing. I'm getting into farming again. I know, I know I'm in, in trouble. He's threshing, whatever, he, whatever that is. He, he's... He's hanging out in a wine press, goofing off with barley or wheat or whatever it was. Why? It says he's hiding so the Midianites couldn't get him. So here's God's champion. God addresses him as mighty warrior, hiding in a wine press from the enemy. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad God has confidence in his people. But not because of our flesh or strength, but because of who he is and what he can do in your life. So he calls him mighty warrior, more than conqueror. Think about it. That's who we are. Why would we let the power of Midian swamp us and push us into caves and crevices and, and destroy our harvest? Why are God's people allowing this to happen? We are called more than conquerors. We are called children of the living God. We, we don't think enough about that title. We don't let that sink in enough. We don't realize who we are. Do you realize who you are? Do we think enough about who we are? Children of the living God. It says in, in John, the, the first chapter, that he gave us the right to become the children of God. The right to have that handle. The right to declare ourselves on our, on our resume. You know who I am? You know what my family background is? You know what my heritage is? You know what my legacy is? I'm a child of the creator God. I'm a child of the living God. I'm more than a conqueror. I am a mighty warrior. Why am I letting the power of Midian oppress me? You, you have to come to that place where enough is enough. I, I'm not going into a cave. I'm not going to make concessions for that power. I am no longer going to hide in crevices. I'm no longer going to put up with, with Satan robbing me of the harvest of spiritual excellence that I should have. You have to individually so that we can as a church. We're only as good as we are individually as when we come together. So how do you get to the place where you, who you are is reflected in how you live? The second 
issue. Decide to finally listen to God and stop presuming upon him. Did you notice Gideon's response here? It says uh, in verse 14, well, sir, first of all, he addresses him as sir, not Lord, not God, but sir. Somebody sort of important, but I don't really know who you are because it's been so long since I've really hung out with God, I don't even recognize you anymore. And he starts saying stuff like, well, you know, why, if, if God is really with us, why has all this happened to us? I mean, where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? Didn't the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now he's like abandoned us? And, and further up, it, it says that, that God sent a prophet. They asked for deliverance. God sent them a prophet. He sent them a preacher. He sent some annoying person to stand in front of them and preach to them. They wanted deliverance. They wanted harvest. They wanted to get out of the cave. And all you do is send us a preacher who will tell us about God? Yes, because you've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten who you are in God. You've got to decide to finally listen to God and stop presuming upon him. If you don't really wish to listen to God, you should stop assuming he will beat up your enemies and prosper your life. Do you understand that? If, if you aren't going to listen to him, you've got to stop settling for your man-made shelters, your cover-ups, your hiding your real situation, and start listening to God. You've got to stop manipulating him and thinking that he's somehow going to just step in and take care of you no matter how you live. God did not deliver them right away. That's what they wanted. He sent them a preacher first. Instead of rescue, they had to listen to sermons. God will refuse to rescue and choose to preach until you realize that the relationship should not be presumed upon. Do you, do you know why this is? Why didn't God just rescue them right away? When they cried out finally, okay, fine, I'll save you, I'll rescue you. I've told you this before, and I, I, I'm going to tell you again. God does not want your contract love. He wants your covenant love. There's a world of difference. You know, um, Daddy isn't just there to bail us out of trouble. Every time we do something wrong, we just run to daddy and he'll buy us out of trouble. And no father wants that of their children, by the way, either. No, no father wants to hear from their kids whenever they're in trouble. Pick up the phone, hi dad, I'm really in trouble. Can you send some money? Can you bail me out? Can you do this? A father wants his children to love him. Because he loves them. And so God sends them the preacher to tell them, God has rescued you. God loves you. God is with you. God cares for you. God is in covenant with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's not abandoned you. You've abandoned him. And he doesn't want to set up a contract love where every time you call him, you get in trouble, you sin, he bails you out, and then the next time you, you leave him, you abandon him, thanks God, and you take off and you, you go into this cycle again, and then you call him when you're in trouble. No, he doesn't want a contract love relationship with you. He wants a covenant relationship with you. So, ma so no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is happening in your life, you love God. With all of your heart, and all of your mind, and all of your soul, and all of your strength. 
If you won't resist the allure of lesser gods, stop protesting the mess the direction brings to your life. You want to flirt with another lover, you're going to have to face the consequences, God says. The third is this. Whining about your discomfort must give way to genuine repentance. All Gideon wanted to do is whine and blame God. That's, that's the first thing. You know, we, we get into trouble in our lives. Things are not going on. Why, why am I not being blessed? Why is this person being blessed? I'm not being blessed. Well, let's just blame God. He's abandoned me. He's, he's left me alone. He's got something against me. The reason you whine rather than repent is because you're not really sorry for your sins. You're just sorry for your pain. And you're hoping that you can keep living with what you've been holding on to, which is the affair you're having with God, and have God too. You're hoping that he'll immunize you from pain and, and just give you endless blessings while you're two-timing on God. If you choose to keep running after the attractions lost people love, you'll find God deaf to your prayers and unwilling to protect you from the very painful consequences of that choice. God hasn't lost his power. God has an abandoned interest in his people. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. God does not intend to save us from the consequences we have no intention of correctives over. That's insincere. So the question that is before Israel all over again in Judges 6, are you going to whine and blame me or are you going to repent? of your sin and turn from your sin to God and then shock of all shocks as we were reading through this story we realize that the whole problem here was in the yard the very backyard of Gideon's father's house the people of God had put up altars of worship to Baal and Asherah, fertility gods of lost people. The final drastic change that has to happen in our lives, and you're saying, I don't have a Baal altar in my backyard. I don't have an Asherah pole in my yard. You might. If we all went and inspected each other's lives real carefully, we might be horrified to find out what kind of altars we have to the gods of lost people. Idolatry must give way to worshiping God. kind of starts with doubting God and flirting with sinfulness and ingratitude and it moves to idolatry and, idolatry and lack of trust. You notice what God says to Gideon as we summarize verses 25 through 28? Baal must go before Midian can be defeated. 
the power of Midian in your life. That sin that is pressing on you, oppressing you, the defeat over and over again, will not be chased out of your life by the power of God until the other gods you're worshiping are gone. Israel's call was to redeem and reclaim a pagan setting for the Lord. That's our mission. That's Calvary Baptist Church's mission. We are called to redeem and reclaim Oshawa and Durham region and the ends of the earth for the glory of God. We are not called to settle here and gather around ourselves the gods of lost people. That's what they'd done. You can't eat at the table of the Lord, which is in itself a promise of loyalty to God. And leave here and go and eat at the table of demons. There is no married person in here. who will put up with an affair in their marriage. And yet, we think God should put up with us having affairs on him. Whatever, and only you and the Lord know this. Maybe some people around you know, if you ask them. Whatever is displacing God must be replaced by God before whatever is defeating you will be defeated. Israel was treating the living God as if he was no more relevant or powerful than any number of other gods that lost people worshipped. So let me close by asking this question. Are you having affairs on God? It was rather shocking when Gideon tears down all of the pagan altars. You would think the people of Israel, the men of Israel, God's men, would come around him and congratulate him and say, finally, thank you that finally someone has stood up for our great God. And all they do is look for him to beat him up because he's taken away their foreign gods. I wonder if sometimes we treat the things of Jesus light. But if anybody tampers with our toys, it would draw serious outrage. His lordship before your liberation. That's the message here. It's the only way you can get out of that cave, out of that hiding, out of having the power of Midian maraud in your life, stealing the harvest that should be yours of blessing. 
his lordship before your liberation. Our Father and our God, uh, thank you for the power of this lesson to bring to our attention the potential that we are disloyal to our God. And Father, we're about to gather around the table of our Lord as a congregation now, as a community of faith, as people of God, as the people who have the resident power of God here in Durham region, as the people who are to proclaim and to advertise that God's power is truly resting on us. That's the people we're talking about, Lord. I, I pray that the power of Midian is not upon us. I pray that the power of God is upon us. And so, Father, we have this opportunity now in the next few moments to get, to, to, uh, to get alone with you and, and, and see this time of, uh, of the Lord's table, of communion, as a time of covenant renewal and loyalty, of renewing our vows to our covenant with you. You have covenant with us. The blood of the covenant, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that in this time now, we will get serious with our great God and recognize the price of our salvation, the greatness of Christ's love for us and how much we love him. And that we might promise our love in return. For asking in Jesus' name.